I'm still a student. I'm still a student of it all. I'm still a student of relationship. I'm still a student of love. I'm still a student of knowing me. I'm still a student of poetry. I'm just forever gonna be in class. The bell will never ring. Welcome to Messy and Magnificent. This is where high achievers and leaders come to work healthier, not harder. Where hustle culture zigs, we zag so you can thrive in your career, health, and relationships. My name is Carly Fain. I'm a celebrity business and boundary coach, and whether I'm working with Grammy award-winning artists, professional athletes, Fortune 50 CEOs, or just folks that enjoy both progress and the present moment, my intention is to make sure that you have both a doable plan and the roots to rise. Why, hello there. It's your gal, Carly. Welcome back to Messy and Magnificent. And our spring 2000 season, which is centered around navigating change. We're weaving in specifically some grace and a malleable framework that supports your career, your health, and your relationships right now as you're transversing different types of territories. So I was talking the other day with my dear friend and colleague, Dr. Maria Sirwa, and we're doing some planning for a course that we've offered for years together called Navigating Change. And we were speaking about how powerful it is to have the language to understand ourselves and our desires, our fears, our wonderings, our worries as we're walking through new paths or dealing with shifts that we're experiencing. And I was thinking about the first time I heard Kate Northrup use the phrase fertile void to describe the part of our growth cycle where we have no idea what to do next. I remember being like, wait, hold on here a second. (laughs) There's a name for the fact that I'm lost in the dark? And wait a minute, you're telling me other people, even high achievers like me, experience this too? And did this change the fact that I was in the fertile void? No, of course not. But it did something just as powerful. Having language that described where I was changed the way I related to where I was. I went from viewing myself as lost or confused or alone, and then of course a little unworthy or feeling incapable and full of self-doubt as I had to figure out all these changes on my plate, to a richer space where a phrase like fertile void felt like anything was possible, and other people had been there too and were there now too, and I was reminded that this was just one phase in my growth, not a permanent place. And so I knew that as we start our series of interviews with leaders across a diverse landscape of professionals this season who know something about navigating change, we had to start with someone who has the language and courage and clarity required to navigate change and the ability to show us how to do that for ourselves because our words matter. Whether they're words other people say to us, the words we say to ourselves, or the words we impress upon the world around us, they can give us encouragement or they can break us down. And they can certainly lift us out of our darkest depths. Words are a remedy. And giving ourselves the space to find the ones we want to say is a precious gift that heals parts that feel wounded or raw or open. 
They mend our worry, our doubt, and they help us honor who we truly are. So in this episode, I sat down with Gail Danley. Gail is a poetry prose, former national and international poetry slam champion and a Maryland Library Associate Poet of the Year. And what she does is she goes into America's classrooms and teaches thousands of children and educators how to access their emotions through language. In fact, her work is so profound that 60 Minutes on CBS profiled her work with middle schoolers in Baltimore County, or you might have seen articles about her in the Washington Post or the New York Times. She has won awards for the way her teaching of her unique poetic process bolsters equity and inclusion and courage. There are links to all of Gail's contact information here in the show notes or head on over to LessonsInPoetry.com if you want to see three decades of her poetic process translated into a course we can all take and benefit from. Whether you consider yourself a poet or not, she will help you build the emotional stamina required for what it is you most want to experience next. So you're going to hear how Gail learned from an early age that her words provided a sense of self-worth that the world around her wasn't offering. By creating a process for her poetry that allowed her to express her truth, she shaped an identity that continues to inspire writers and poets around the world. And she shares how poetry has helped her challenge perceptions, navigate change, process loss, and summon the courage to step into the best of what is possible next. And I'll be candid, (laughs) this conversation led both Gail and I to tears. So if you hear us sniffing, that's what was happening. The good kind of tears, though, the kind that rehydrated our connection to ourselves and each other, and hopefully now you too. And if this is the first time you're joining me this season on Messy Magnificent, please know that there is a beautiful Navigating Change guidebook that goes along with this season. So I have curated the best tools our guests have shared with us this season, plus the framework my clients and I use to navigate change well, so that you can go deeper into the material you hear on each episode and have your own custom guide to meet you in this moment of change. It's totally for free. There's nothing for sale in there. You can get your own copy in the link in the show notes here, or just visit carlyfane.com forward slash podcast to download it. I highly recommend that you give yourself the generous space to get your thoughts out of that beautiful mind of yours and onto the page of your own guidebook. It will take you the places you want to go next. So if you're ready to find the right words to help you navigate changes in your career, health, or relationships, this is the episode for you. What in your head or your heart wants to be heard today? That it's going to be okay, whatever the it is, it's all right. My daughter has become one of my best friends. She's now 26. And so she's done that circle back thing that most daughters do that I never really had a chance to do with, with my mom because I was 24 when the first one died. But that's another point. So she's done that circle back and she never really got too far away from me, but the the circle back is in full effect now that she's 26. And when I feel anxious or afraid, she'll say to me, it's okay, mama. 
it's okay. And so ever so often I'll pull her voice near to me when I need it, when I need to hear that. And so right now with that very good question, I think about that. I think about, it's okay. You've got lots of wonderful things going on that you kicked up and here they are coming in, right? So just, you're good. That's what she says. That's what she says, Carly. She says, you're good, mama. She says, you're good. And that's what I want to say in my own voice. You're good, girl. Mm. You got this. Ah, the power of hearing you say that. And it feels to me like an invitation for us to say that to ourselves. Hey, mama, you're good. Right? Getting your out of bed in the morning, putting our feet on the ground the first time. Hey, mama, you're good. Brushing our teeth. Hey, mama, you're good. Opening an email. Hey, mama, you're good. Yeah, Mary J. Blige has this song. It's kind of a new song for her. It's like, good morning, gorgeous. You know, sometimes you got to look in the mirror and say to yourself, good morning. And that's true. That's so good, right? But for me, before I even start talking about how gorgeous I am, I need to, to remind myself how good I am, right? I'm good. You got this. So before the gorgeous, right, I can put on the makeup and the smile for that. It is, you're good. You can handle it. And if you can't, you know what to do. You'll be instructed. Oh, what do you think the difference is for you? Like the delineation between those two, between going to your gorgeous and starting with good. What is the difference there? Like what, when you say you're good to yourself, what does good mean? It means that all those wonderful things that I have worked and focused on so intently this year and and actually since the pandemic hit, I just got very focused, you know, with that alone time. And so it means that now that it's all coming and some of it is coming fast, you're good, Gail. You're good. I remember being like in the 10th grade or something and my high school health teacher with the acne, bless her heart, right? She said to me, but she said to all of us, there's good stress and there's bad stress. So one is called distress and the other is called eustress, E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S. And of course, I'd never heard of that. But now, like now that I'm 56, I get it. Like, even though things are good, it can still feel a little overwhelming. And so when I say to myself, like you said to me right before we started, I'm moving. My house is one big box, right? Well, that's so exciting, right? You're going to a new place. I'm sure it's beautiful. But still, there's the eustress that you might be feeling. Thank you for normalizing that. That just because we're feeling all the feels, we're feeling overwhelmed or this eustress doesn't mean that the transition's bad or that everything's gone bad. It's also just an accompaniment. This is something that's part of the ride when change comes calling. Part of what shows up are the feels associated with change. And you remind me as you say this, that it doesn't mean that, oh gosh, no, go backwards or stop the change. It might just mean, what do I need to hear? I need to hear you're good, mama, or I need to hear you're gorgeous, or I need to, whatever it is that helps me continue to navigate this thing that's before me. And I think hearing that from the inside is so powerful, right? I mean, it's wonderful. Our girlfriends are goddesses. We know that. And they bring those voices to us, which is why they are our girlfriends, right? 
But when we can take their voices and their voices can become our automatic voice, then we don't have to call them up because now we know how to love ourselves. We know how to soothe ourselves. And maybe that's what this quest, this life quest is all about. Like, how do you work you? How do you take mama's lessons? How do you take God's lessons? How do you take life's lessons and make them become something that you know how to give yourself? Does that, does that make sense? Okay. That makes so much sense. And which leads me immediately to my next question, which is how might we begin that process? What could that look like? When we're talking about change and transition here, you know, a lot of us think when we think change, we think of what I was just talking about earlier. I'm moving, right? So change in geography or a change in relationship status or change with a medical diagnosis or the birth or death of a loved one, right? Those kind of changes. The change you're speaking to is internal. The change you're talking about is ongoing forever. It's never quite done, right? And so I'm curious, what has helped you in that process? You said, I'm 56. So in 56 years, what has helped you take the voice? I love the way you said, our girlfriends are goddesses. Take that girlfriend goddess voice and begin to hear it within yourself. What's helped that transition? Has that voice always been there within you? Is it something you've had to foster? I I want to know what's helped that voice reside within you, Gail. That's a good one. When I was a young, a young lady, a younger person, I used to envision there was this teeny, teeny, tiny, tiny, tiny little Gail, so small that she could fit between my clavicle and my heart. So she's a teeny weeny little Gail. And she's in black. So she's in like a, a, a simple black leotard and she's in simple black pants that kind of cling to my legs. And her only job is to be in there speaking to me. That's her only job. Over and over again, she's there just saying the sweetest things to me. So I don't know where that came from, where that vision came from, but I'm sure that that's part of that voice. And she never left. She came and she just took up residence and she is so cute and so (laughs) important and so spiritual. And I don't think she's ever going to go away. I actually wonder if when I'm on my deathbed, will we finally join hands? Will she finally reach out and take me with her? So that's, I'm sure, part of it, Carly. And then the other part of it is being a writer. And so voices are such a part of you when you're a writer. And I think no matter what kind of writer you are, but maybe especially when you're a poet, the voice is is part of it, right? It is the voice that you're making flesh, that you're taking out of here and out of here and you're and you're putting here. So I think that's part of it. And I also think that part of it is just that beautiful wisdom of being 56. There's just some stuff that you know. There's some stuff that I think is just germane to being my age. It's so lovely. It's like I, (laughs) Carly, I was in a bathing suit on Sunday because I took my three kids to an indoor water park, right? So they were having fun and I had their stuff. So I had their phones, their bags, but I had on my bathing suit. So it was great. And I had this guy sitting next to me, take some pictures of me. They looked beautiful. And on one of the pictures, I saw like a new fold 
of cellulite in my inner thigh. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, that's a gorgeous picture. But where the hell did the new fold, when did that come, right? <laughs> and so there is that part of being, I guess, 56, but there's also the beautiful part of, you just know what you know, what you know when it comes to certain things. And other things you don't know, and that's all right too. Wait, did I answer the question? You answered the no, It's like a four-part answer. This is why I am, I am so excited to be in conversation with you because, Gail, you have a way of answering the question. It doesn't even matter what the original question was. You get to the question. What is the thing that needs to be heard or discussed? But yes, I think you did. I love hearing, I mean, the process of, like the, this visual, I'm a visual thinker. So this visual of little Gail residing in you in her black leotard and her black pants between your clavicle and your heart, right? And your sternum right in there. And that she's always been with you. And that that is your relationship to knowing what is good and, and perhaps knowing something about what enough is. That is powerful. But also just the candid honesty of some of these things come with a certain amount of time on the planet. 56 years gives you time to learn a few things. It also gives you time to acclimate to a couple new folds or, or a shift or this or that changing within the body. It's all part of it. But as you talk about being a poet, I'm curious about your pathway into poetry and specifically slam poetry, right? Because, you know, when you think of sometimes when you think of a poet, you think of the cultivation of something in a, in a calm private room or, you know, scratching into a notebook on the subway, wherever it is that we create. But with slam poetry, not only do you create, but you take it to the world with your own voice, perhaps on a stage. So there is a level of courage involved with slam poetry. So I want to know about that. Why poetry and why slam poetry? What brought you to that meeting? Where I grew up, women were, they were nobodies, right? And you were only good for a couple of things, I grew up in, in the South. I grew up in Georgia. I grew up in Atlanta. When the poetry came, it was such a wow for me. First of all, that I didn't have to follow the trajectory of the wonderful women in my family. They're wonderful. You know, people wonder, salt of the earth, you know, good job with the post office, just wonderful. My dad's biggest wish for me was to either be a supervisor at the post office or to be a lawyer, which is very nice, right? That this Southern man would have these dreams for me, right? But when the poetry came along and I saw that I could be this and that no matter what other people thought about, it, actually, the fewer people who liked it, the better. Right. Really? That I, that I could just the, the fewer people in my life who were able to co-sign the career and the mission that I had chosen really meant that I was on to something good. Right. Because if everybody is agreeing with what you're doing, you must be doing something wrong or you must be doing something safe. And so there's nothing safe about slam poetry. Right. It's all risk. It's all wild and crazy. And then the idea that you could take this and pay your bills. What? What is wrong with you? When my, mom, when my mom died 
and I was, I had two moms die, right? So I had the experience at 24 and then I had the experience five years ago. So when the second mom died, I was sitting in a room and I should have known better. And I was looking around for pieces of her. And at the top of her closet was her journal, her diary. Mm -hmm. Who knew she was even keeping one? So of course I took it down and, and read it as if her death was not enough trauma. <laughs> the things we do to ourselves right things. right like <laughs> so i'm reading through and it's just kind of an account of her days and then i get to the point where she says i think she was talking about something i was going through at the time with my daughter's father and she said gail is so stupid and weak and that's where i closed the journal and that's where i was able to use that hurt that I felt to survive the next couple of days. Isn't that weird? So because I read that and it hurt so badly and it made me angry, it got me through those first weeks of grief because I was angry with her for saying that. And I was trying to prove that, no, I'm very smart. I'm very capable. And no doubt, Carly, part of my mom's sense of this was a weak woman is the fact that I was not following a traditional path. So although she celebrated that and she bought all my books and sold a ton of them to her coworkers, I believe that there was also a part of her that was like, why don't she go get a real job? And so I'm glad I never did that. I'm very proud of what I do. And I think that I think I'm okay. There that voice is again. I think I'm okay. I think I got this. I think I'm on the right path. And I don't even remember what your question was. Wait, what was the question? Did I answer it? Well, it's, we're coming back to, it was the question. <laughs> you always get to the question. The question was, why poetry and why slam poetry? Why slam? Yes. Okay. So quick answer is it allows me to be thoroughly me. It's so fun. It's so Party is so raw, it's so real. It's not the poet under the oak tree. I was made for slam. This episode is brought to you by Navigating Change. This is a course I have had the honor to teach for years with my dear friend and preeminent thought leader in the field of positive psychology, resilience, and authenticity, Dr. Maria Sirwa. If change is on you like a heat on a jalapeno, I hope you'll join us live in person at Kripalu Center in June of 2022. But in the meantime, you can RSVP to attend a live recording of Messy and Magnificent with Maria and I on May 11th, where you'll get to explore one of our favorite models for navigating change well. Save your spot via the link in the show notes or head on over to carlyfane.com forward slash RSVP. And even if you can't attend live, RSVP anyway, and we'll send you the recording the next day. This is totally free. It's my treat and an extra special way we can gather our wits and wisdom as a community together. Go grab your spot. I can't wait to see you soon. That is the clearest, truest thing I've heard all day. And, and tell me if I'm getting this right. It sounds like, or what I'm picking up is when you are met with opposition, when you said earlier, 
the more people that told me I was crazy on this or couldn't understand what I was trying to do, the more I knew it was the thing for me, right? When I hear you say that, you flip this whole thing on its head about needing other people's approval right there with that statement. Like, no, their, their stamp of disapproval is my indicator that perhaps I'm onto something new here. I'm on to a new path here. Everything about that sounds like when you are met with something that touches your heart, whether that's, you know, a hard word you read in someone's journal, that there's a part of you that springs to life. The other night I had a conversation with my sister-in-law and she's the best. I told her about what I'm getting ready to do, which is so either at the beginning of May or the beginning of June, we're moving and I'm not going to buy Not just yet. I think we're going to rent for a couple of years, right? And we're moving into the biggest, most fabulous home that we can afford, right? And so I've been making money and putting it away in a whole different bank from my regular bank. So I don't touch it, right? And I have uh, one of my girlfriends is doing my financial planning for me on this. And so she keeps the spreadsheet, which we call the house sheet. And so I told my sister-in-law about this the other night and I'm going to pay six months of rent up front or maybe even a year. So I don't think about that. And she was so excited. And in her glee, she said, well, what do you do next year when your schools don't have COVID money, you know, and they can only pay you a regular fee to come in and do this. That was such a great question. Isn't that awesome? Like her doubt, her look at <laughs> What if this all goes wrong? It's perfect, right? Because it lets me know I'm on the right track and Mm -hmm. it puts it somewhere in my consciousness that I need to attend to that. I need to take care of that. So that, yeah, so I'm not saying, man, that was a dumb thing that she said. I'm saying, okay, that put that in there somewhere, but it doesn't stop me. It's just another thing that I will work out again, Carly. Right. Because it's good. Because it's all good. There's the mantra again. All good. You're giving me an idea here around this notion that there is plenty. There is like a prolific abundance of doubt, worry, second guessing floating through the atmosphere around us. So we will have no shortage of that. We don't have to reside in that place. If we want any doubt, guessing, worried about the future, we can tap into that anytime we want. They sell it at Walmart. It's always on sale. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And so I come back to the importance of the little Gail that resides with you or the little Sarah or the little Henry or right. Whoever it is that's listening, that there's plenty of doubt, worry, not sure. Am I enough floating around it within the world? It's our job to cultivate the other voice, too, and that they're both there and they're both always there and they're both allowed to be there. But perhaps it's our job during a time of transition to saddle up a little closer to that place between our clavicle and our heart. Right. And just keep checking in. What is also true here? What could this also mean? You know, you've talked about and I definitely wanted to touch on this today because it's so beautiful the way you've integrated slam poetry into the school system. For those listening, Gail teaches students all over the world how to access the beauty and the power and the brilliance of words and to think, my gosh, if I could learn this, you know, when I was a school student, especially a young school student. I'm curious for you because you've been navigating this, particularly during a time of COVID, 
And there has been so much change in the school systems for teachers, for the students, administration. How can we engage our words to help us navigate change? You as somebody who I had this image in my head because I'm visual of you just like holding hands with language. I mean, just like words are floating by and you're inviting them in for tea and then you're kicking them out and you're, you're in this dynamic relationship with language. And I'm curious about the way you might find connection between how can the words we use help us navigate our own moments of change? A couple of years ago, I, was, I took a summer job at Papa John's. In Baltimore, it was really, really tough. On one of those days inside of the store, you know, sometimes you got to do the double duty of making the pizza, cutting the onions, and then delivering, right? That was such a good, humbling experience. On one of those days, I was carrying some green pepper or something, some pepperoni into the walk-in refrigerator. And suddenly over my head, Carly, came the words, like, this is freaky, Ring, fling, bling, and sing. And I was like, what is that? And I realized that ring, fling, bling, and sing is my four-step writing process. It's the steps that I go, I know it's so weird. It's the steps I go through whenever I get an idea or an emotion and I've got to turn it into a new point, right? And so when I go into schools, what I do is I lead students or if I'm doing professional development, I'll lead teachers through that simple, fun, four-step process, right? So we start out by ringing with the W, like ringing out a washcloth, ringing all the feelings out on the paper without judgment. And then we fling, which means that we get rid of the extra words. Now that we've cooled down and we look at the writing with a cool head, we get rid of the extra words and then we go back. And in those spaces that we've created by flinging, we bling. So it's like when you clean your room, the room is nice and bare, and then you go and you add beautiful things back in to replace all of the underwear that you had lying around on the floor. And then the fourth step is sing. And that's when you speak this piece out loud. Your chest is up high. You're feeling proud. You don't care if your next door neighbor likes it. You don't care if you're going to get a 5.7 in the slam. You just speak this thing, right? And so whatever students are going through when I come through the door, going through something awesome, going through something horrible, the process is still the same. And so I like to leave them with those tools so that when everything crumbles, when change is the name of the game, they have that. They have that in the back and the front pocket to help them navigate. I have so much appreciation for how practical this process is. Like to think in my back pocket, okay, I'm going to ring this baby out. Let me get what I'm feeling out on the page. I'm not going to edit it at the gate. Just get it out of my head or my heart. Let me see it, right? And then the objectivity that comes along with flinging. Like now I'm going to lean back and see the words, not just scrambling around in my noodle. I can see them. What might I toss off this page and then blinging it up, right? What might I add into this page? And then the way... You know, you say it perhaps because this is your expertise after so many years of practice, and now I'm going to sing it. You didn't say, say it. You said, I'm going to sing it, right? And it isn't about, tell me if I'm getting this right, the reaction that other people have as much as it is about the experience of singing it. This is the thing that's true for me right now. This is where I'm at, or this is what I'm noticing. That process of taking, oh my gosh, everything we might be thinking or feeling and putting it through those four steps. It's a way of holding what is, Gail. 
It's a way of holding what is, which can feel like a lot to hold in such a way that it feels doable and honest and real and of service to the moment. And that's Folk huge. Psychic during the pandemic, right? I was, I was a bit distraught and kind of wondering what am I going to do? What's going on? So I called psychic hotline and she said, among other things, she said, you need to take a class. You need to learn how to do something. I was like, oh, hmm. Okay. So I started piano lessons. And sometimes people will ask me, well, how's that coming? I don't, you know, I don't know. I meet with Miss <laughs> Phyllis once a week. You know, she's, she's great. But it's not really about the piano per se. It's about having a process, having something to do, having something in place so that for just that moment, just that hour, you are away from that thing. And so when I think about the four steps, when I think about ring, fling, bling, and sing, I think about what a cooling off moment. What an opportunity to just kind of get away from grandma dying, get away from, oh my God, I got all these boxes in this house. I am going insane to just cool. It's a cooling period, right? So it's not so much about the steps per se. They could be anything. Go outside and turn around in the yard 12 times. They could be anything. <laughs> Right. But it's just it's just process. It's just a moment to let the brain relax and let something else, let that hire you take over. Well, and I think there's something beautiful about that. There's a structure to that in a moment where something might feel overwhelmed. We talk about sometimes on the show that the, the antidote to overwhelm is focus. Right. Like, what's the one thing I'm going to tend to in this moment? And this feels like, oh, OK, here's my process. Like, this is how I can focus, you know, through this moment on something, maybe stop the mental loop for a moment that I'm going down the spiral that's taken me all sorts of places. And so that there's something I can hang my hat on in this moment. You remind me of um, Susie Banksbaum, an, an author, somebody that I really love. She talks about the creative process, kind of like oars, you know, for your canoe, like we're, we're rowing in a canoe and we might in a moment of overwhelm or transition feel like we're just kind of floating around and the wind is blowing us left and right. But to have a pair of oars once in a while, you know, just to feel like I could put a little direction. This method feels like oars for overwhelm. You know, this feels like, oh, OK, hold on. This is going to guide me somewhere. I can put my feet down in this. That's a great analogy. I'm going to have to write that down. Maybe that'll become a poem. In working with folks who have lost loved ones, because that's another way that I purpose my poetry is I do grief groups. We're always trying to put into words what it's like to lose your mother. And I think one way of looking at it, Carly, is when you lose your mom, you lose your oars. You lose the paddles. So, yeah, that's a good one because... In a way, it's kind of like now you become utterless, you become rootless, right? And without oars, you're just in this little canoe. And so for me, at least, the rest of the journey is about finding those oars because your set of oars is now gone. She took them with her. Oh, yeah. Tell me if this feels applicable. As you say that, I think of 
maybe that's part of what transition always is, whether it's the transition in the loss of a loved one or figuring out a, re- a new form of relationship when somebody's left their body. And, you know, I think of those kind of changes where maybe we didn't pick them, right? We don't necessarily pick when someone passes away or we don't pick when we get laid off or fired or we don't pick when the house burns down, right? Or we don't pick if someone walks out of a relationship sometimes. Sometimes change visits us and it can feel very utterless, no rudders to guide us in that moment. But also even in the moments where we do pick the change, like I'm picking to move. I I chose that and it's a good choice. And it's still, I'm unmoored in that moment, right? Of like, oh yeah, that thing, you know, these four walls that I'm used to, that I drive home to, aren't going to be here anymore. What are my new oars? And as you talk about this as a form of metaphor, it makes me think of, well, if you were building new oars, it would take time, right? You'd have to go find the right tree. And you'd have to chop it down and you'd have to sand it and file it. And, and if you've never made oars, like I've never made oars from scratch, they're gonna, it's going to take me a long time and they're going to be weird when I'm done. They'll work, but that, that's a process. And perhaps you know, to, to view a moment of transition as, well, I'm making new oars. I'm still in the boat. The current's still taking me somewhere. I'm, just, I'm in the process of making new oars right now. That's good. And even if you go someplace that sells them, you still probably won't be able to just walk in and grab a pair off the shelf. You know, it's like a nice suit. Maybe you've got to get it tailored, you know, and maybe time to wear them in, you know? Oh, I love that. Cause as you take the store metaphor, it's like, right. Maybe we talk to our, our girlfriends, our, you know, our therapist, our, you know, our mentor, whoever it is, they can help us craft those oars a little faster, but we're still going to have to acclimate to them. It's still going to be new oars. It's still going to be new oars. Oh, Gail. Carly. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So I've got our Q&A, two-way Q&A questions for you. Are you you game? I think so. (laughs) Let's see. For some reason, I'm getting a hunch and you tell me if I'm wrong. Before we do those questions, is there something else that wants to come through right now? No, I just, I'm just going to let these tears dry on their own, but. No, I'm I'm still with the oars. Yeah, this might be something we can visit again. You and I, those of you listening, we want. I want to talk more about these oars. And full credit to Susie Banks Baum. I was in one of her bookmaking workshops as she was describing her creative process, and she talked about needing oars, and that's where this all came from. So, well, here's a playful question for you, then, Gail. If you came with a warning label, what might it say? Slippery when wet. (laughs) (laughs) She says as the tears are coming down, right? Slippery when wet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What does that mean? And in this moment, you know, with an emotional response, what, what does that mean? That means that sometimes I might just get away from you. You know, sometimes I might not know what to say when I feel that our time is up and I might just, I might just bounce. There it is. Oh, so free when wet. So based on our conversation today, what is a question you have for a woman listening? What would you like to know from them based on everything that's come up so far? What's your little lady saying inside of you? What is she wearing? 
And what is she saying to you? What's her chant? You know, the lady between the clavicle, you said, and the sternum. What does she look like? What is she saying? And how are you loving on her? Oh, I want to hear that. We're going to encourage you to bring that over. All the contact info for Gail and myself will be here in the show notes. We want to know the answer to that question. We want to be in conversation with you about that. All right. Well, this question is last question is a question we ask everybody, but I don't think there has ever been somebody who this was more appropriate to ask than you. Ready? Even if other people disagree, Gail, what is one thing you know to be true? That I'm still that baby that Minnie Lucille birthed November 4th, 1965. I'm still, I'm still that baby. And what does it mean to still be that baby? I don't know much of anything. I'm still, I'm still a student. I'm still a student of it all. I'm still a student of relationship. I'm still a student of love. I'm still a student of knowing me. I'm still a student of poetry. I'm just forever going to be in class. The bell will never ring. Gail, thank you so much for being here. Your questions were so provocative and beautiful. I really appreciate you and your questions. How can I do anything other than just give the biggest sigh of gratitude? It's like this unburdening from my shoulders every time I connect with Gail. I knew that having a conversation with her with language around our transitions would be powerful, but golly, did she bring the goods. So I encourage you to download the guidebook that goes with this season if you haven't already. And while it's hot on your noodle, take a couple minutes to document your takeaways from this conversation so that you can go back and tap into your wisdom as needed. The link to get your guide is right here in the show notes. But don't just keep your thoughts to yourself. Bring them to our community. Tell me in a review on iTunes, what is one word, one thought, one phrase from today's episode that you don't want to forget. Your words matter. And I would love to hear what is true for you and give you a shout out on an upcoming episode. And stay tuned because this conversation leads beautifully into next week's episode where Jack Mason Goodall, business owner and psychologist, joins us to talk about the psychology of change and how we can regulate our nervous system when big feels arrive. Remember, you thrive through nourishment not punishment. And one way to work healthier, not harder, is to consider the words that lead you forward. I am so thankful that you are part of this messy and certainly magnificent community. Each episode here is only the beginning of our lifelong conversation together. Head on over to carlyfane.com for the full show notes from this episode and some extra special resources for high achievers that you won't find anywhere else.